Bretto, the Wellness Base Camp hits your hometown of Adelaide this weekend. Oh, I'm so pumped, MP. The Brisbane Base Camp was a sellout and the feedback was inspiring. Christine said, keep up the incredible work and energy. You made me feel so, so good. Kira said, I loved all the speakers and the vibe in the room and there were so many aha moments. And Lauren said, no matter how many times I hear each of these people speak, I learn new things and always have action steps to take away. Oh, how inspiring is that, MP? It's great to see this event making a real shift in people's lives, Bretto. So jump on board for Adelaide folks, Kim Morrison, Damien Christoph, JP and Andy from Smashed Avocado, myself and the hometown hero, Brett Hill. Oh, MP. The Wellness Base Camp, Saturday, April 7 at the Arca Bar in Adelaide. Two for one tickets available with the code COUNTDOWN at thewellnessbasecamp.com on Eventbrite or search for The Wellness Base Camp Adelaide on Facebook. The code again is COUNTDOWN with the tickets available at thewellnessbasecamp.com on Eventbrite or by typing The Wellness Base Camp Adelaide on Facebook. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings Primal Alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making Primal Living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. I have just had the best laugh with Linda, the self-confessed poo whisperer. She's also um, got an advanced diploma of naturopathic medicine, a diploma of nutrition. She's also a qualified yoga teacher, and she knows a lot about small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, also known as SIBO. And she is going to uh, tell us everything that we need to know about SIBO on the show today. So we're going to get straight in with what it is, what causes it, how it's different to IBS. Um, We're going to look at why SIBO is often a secondary condition to something else that's going on in your body and, um, and what that could be. We're also going to talk about why it's really important to wait in between meals, so not to be snacking and grazing all day, and why that's important, and we'll explain what happens in your body during that time in between good meals. We're going to talk about how living a primal lifestyle and getting involved with slowing life down, chewing your food, tasting your food, using your breath, meditation, All of these sorts of things can just not only make you feel good, but improve your gut health, improve your nervous system health. Um, So all the more reason to do it, sister girlfriend. How many more (laughs) reasons do you need? It's not just um, to get this zen-like mindfulness state. It actually, it's what your body uh, expects and what your body needs to function at its best and at, at at its absolute optimal and who doesn't want to settle for, don't settle for anything less than optimal, seriously. Now, Linda has come into um, her career as a naturopath, and she's married to one of the dudes from 180 Nutrition. I'm not sure which one of the dudes, actually. I'll have to ask her that in the next interview. Um, but she's come into this field from um, a track record of having constipation herself. And when she started to research constipation, she was totally shocked to realize what an epidemic it is. I can relate being uh, constipated for most of my uh, 20s and 30s as well. Uh, not not a good feeling. And I often say, you know, having had insomnia as well, that this, the more things in life to actually wake up on a morning, have had a good night's sleep and cracked off a good dirt, uh, <laughs> like, that really makes your day start in a different way than being exhausted and bunged up and toxic and feeling bloated and horrible. It's not a good feeling, as I'm sure you can relate. So, oh, you're going to love this one. You're going to love this one. We're going to talk about 
tests you can have done to find out if you've got SIBO. We're going to talk about diets that you can um, go on or foods to eliminate rather that can help you get SIBO uh, under control. We're going to talk about different um, you know, treatments that you can take, naturopathic and pharmaceutical. So a very, very good SIBO action-packed show. Um, you can contact Linda and work with her direct, and there is a link to how to do that in the show notes. So um, definitely check her out. She's got a great Facebook page, great website, and you can work one-on-one with her anywhere in the world, thanks to the beauty of Skype and FaceTime. Hallelujah. Now, before we go into the interview with Linda, I just wanted to tell you about the Primalista Baking franchise. If you have got a passion for clean living, if you love staying at home and creating with your Thermomix in the kitchen and you feel compelled to help other people, then the Primalista license might be something that's just up your street. I am the founder of Primal Alternative. Primal Alternative is a grain-free food range and I've basically created this food range because when I was um, coaching people, I found that they were very time poor and didn't want to spend all day in the kitchen, unlike me. So I've created a range of alternatives to the foods that we all love to make grain-free easy. So in the range, we've got a fruit toast, we've got pizza bases, we've got a fat and seedy bread, which is really low carb and suitable um, for gaps people. We've got chocolate chip cookies, we have got jellies, Uh, which are really nourishing for the gut. And we've also got summer or winter bread or zucchini and pumpkin bread, um, which isn't bread at all. It's uh, vegetable, seasonal vegetables, almond meal um, and eggs in disguise as bread and a wonderful, delicious, nutrient-dense substitute or primal alternative it is as well. Now, instead of having a factory and pumping out my range, I have recruited producers across Australia who are lovingly called Primalistas and they are producers of the Primal Alternative uh, range. They do that by buying a franchise business from me and with that they get the recipe, all the business resources they need to make a successful baking business from home themselves. Um, We are a wonderful network of local producers. We have a very strong culture of sisterhood Uh, very collaborative, excuse me, very collaborative um, culture. So we all got each other's back. We celebrate success. We run the shitty days past each other and seek advice, inspire each other. It's a really awesome um, family to be part of. And we are expanding. My vision is to uh, empower 200 women with their own home business. And I really feel that Creating the recipes for Primal Alternative was the easy bit. And really what has been the miracle with this business is creating the business, the brand, and cultivating the belief in these women who would love to have their own business but have just been held back with various fears and doubts over the years. And this is your opportunity to really step up and do something you love on your own terms uh, from home without wearing a bra. How cool is that? So if you want to find out more about it, it's pretty trailblazing. Uh, It's really going off. People are loving our products. People are really interested in becoming a primalista themselves. We've only been going for just over a year as a franchise business. So we're new and we're fresh and it's exciting and words catching on. Momentum is building. Primal Alternative is getting a name out there. Check out www.primalalternative.com to see our range, see our ingredients, meet the Primalistas, find out all about the Primalista franchise, find out more about me and my story and why I'm so passionate to help people go grain-free. Ah, what a life, what a life. And I get to hang out with amazing people like Linda. All right, well, without any further ado, let's talk about poo. All right, well, welcome to the show, Linda. It's so exciting to have you here today. So grateful to be on, Helen. Thanks for having me on. So cool. So cool. And I was just uh, mentioning to um, you before we went into record that I've listened to episodes of other podcasts where you've appeared as the poo whisperer and you seem to be, you know, everything about SIBO and leaky gut and gut health. And I know that they're all incredibly um, 
hot topics, uh, but I think there's quite a lot of confusion around, especially SIBO. So I'd like to start there if that's all right with you. If you could start by telling us what the hell is SIBO? And I would love nothing more. <laughs> I love this topic. So SIBO, essentially, it stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And essentially what that means is that in our small intestine, we're not, al- we're not allowed, we're not supposed to have a lot of bacteria. So what is happening in SIBO is that you'll find bacteria is translocating into the small intestine. So most of our bacteria is is supposed to be located in our large intestine and there's improper removal of this bacteria from the small intestine for various reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into. So that's essentially what SIBO is. And to put it into perspective, I'm sure everyone's heard of IBS. Yes, unfortunately. Yep, yep. Yes, for a long, long time we've known about IBS and apparently around 60% of people with IBS actually have SIBO. So it just goes to show how big this problem is, how common this problem is. And it actually is not such a bad thing with um, those that do suffer with something like IBS because often it's just a condition that we kind of go, well, there's nothing you can do about it or we've tried this and we're still having symptoms. But I guess when there is that diagnosis of SIBO, there's a direction that you can take to reduce and remove the bacteria and support and remove the drivers that could possibly be triggering SIBO. Not always possible. Sometimes it's really difficult to to get rid of the drivers, but it is it is possible in some situations. Now, whereas with IBS, that that's a term that's been around for a long time. SIBO is a relatively new new one, isn't it? So how when did it get discovered, like roughly? And um, so has it been you know is it being taken seriously in the medical world now? Look, I think it was around about the year two thousand that SIBO was, I guess, discovered for want of a better word. No doubt it's been around for a long, long period of time, but we probably put a label on it around that time, I believe. Um, And as for it being more uh, recognised in, uh, say, the the, uh, the medical field as well as naturopaths, I think it's becoming more and more common. I think, you know, definitely health practitioners like naturopaths and possibly functional medicine practitioners um, would be aware of SIBO. Some doctors, yes, but probably a little bit later to find out that information, I would say, or they probably don't read as much of the articles. Maybe some do. And certainly I just came back from a functional medicine uh, course not too long ago and there was a bucket load of GPs there that were really into this kind of work, you know, how do we work with a patient um, other than just giving them, you know, pharmaceuticals to support symptoms and that was really refreshing to see. So no doubt most of those people in the room would have known about SIBO. Well, that's really encouraging to hear. But what does SIBO look like? What does it feel like when you've got SIBO? What are some of the symptoms, Linda? Yeah, good question. Because they can actually be symptoms that you'll find in many other conditions. But I'll give you some of the main ones. So bloating is a big one, especially after fibrous food. You'll also find, you know, uh, things like even anxiety is a big symptom and you wouldn't actually think that given that it's a digestive sort of, you know, condition for want of a better word. But there is those systemic symptoms that you'll find, anxiety. Um, Definitely you can either get constipation or diarrhea or a combination of both. Uh, You can get things like reflux, you can get abdominal pain, cramping, uh, restless legs is another one that you can get as well. Things, uh, systemic symptoms, um, you know, that are stemming from something like leaky gut. So you'll find, you know, acne rosacea, which I've mentioned before, um, you know, inflammation, pain, all that sort of stuff, uh, joint pain and that sort of stuff. So there's a bucket load of symptoms, as you can see, but you're probably looking at the, the common ones, which are bloating straight after fibrous foods and, you know, constipation or diarrhea or a combination of both and anxiety being a big one too. And so when you yeah. say five, I could go on. Yeah, you could go There's on. There's a list. <laughs> which is why it can get confusing because yeah. it's like, well, do I have it or not? Which is why testing is very, very important to ascertain if you do and which type of gas are you more predominant in, which so, we'll get into. Well, yeah, we'll get into the with the into the SIBO test. But um, 
I guess what, what I'm really interested to know before we move on from there is when you say fibrous foods, what do you mean? Do you mean like vegetables or tell us more? Yeah, so you starchy sort of foods. So, right. for example, I'll give you some examples of what someone with SIBO might be reacting to, things like sweet potato, things like um, you, you sort of FODMAPy sort of foods, sweet potato, potato, onions, garlic, uh, things like mushroom, you know, uh, grains, um, what else? There, there's many, but they're the main ones. It's sort of starchy, sort of polysaccharide rich, FODMAPy, high FODMAPy sort of foods. So, yeah. so thinking about the, the um, so SIBO is, um, it's a natural occurring bacteria. It's just in the wrong part of the intestine, right? So it's in the small intestine Absolutely. instead of the large. So we've got, so we've got the, we swallow our food, it goes down into our stomach, into the small intestine through the large intestine and out into the toilet, right? Yep, absolutely. So how does the bacteria from our large intestine get into our small intestine? Yeah, there's there's various ways. And, again, it's also the improper cleansing of this bacteria from the small intestine too. So as you mentioned, in the digestive system, we've got the esophagus, we've got the stomach, we've got the small intestine, we've got the large intestine. And... Let me give you an idea of what can actually drive SIBO because this will give you some clarity around that. There are a number of things that can drive SIBO, one of them being food poisoning or gastroenteritis. So if someone's, and many of us have had food poisoning or gastroenteritis, and what can happen in that scenario is that that, that particular infection can release something called CDTB, which is cytolethal, um, I can never remember the name. But anyways, it's a toxin that it produces, which is, which then the, the immune system mounts an immune response to that. So it produces antibodies to that particular toxin. But those antibodies, or, the, or that particular toxin, is very similar to a protein called vinculin found in the small intestine. And this particular protein is, is responsible for the cleansing wave that happens in the small intestine that pushes bacteria and undigested you know, food to move on through to the colon. So that's its job. And this cleansing wave, otherwise known as the housekeeper wave, happens every 90 minutes and, you know, in a fasted state, so in between meals. So what we do in a small intestine is we absorb nutrients and then we cleanse. We absorb, we cleanse, we absorb, we cleanse. That's the role. Sometimes the bacteria can translocate. So in that scenario, when that uh, cleansing wave, um, so I didn't finish off what happens in that immune response. When the immune system mounts that immune response, it the uh, anti antibody that it produces against the anti-CDTB is very similar to the vinculin. And then so the immune system, it's like a case of molecular mimicry, yeah. which is basically the immune system then creates an antibody against anti-vinculin, which kills off that cleansing wave. So that then allows for the wave to not happen or just reduce its function and bacteria can or food can stay in there longer. And that's when that bacterial overgrowth can happen. So that's one of the reasons. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. I was just so I was just thinking because I'm always trying to think of solutions. So if you know you say this yeah. cleansing wave or the housekeeping wave, if that happens every 90 minutes, like so you see it's like sweeping through the small intestine, getting rid of all the bacteria and the bits of food that aren't meant to be there. Um, but that only can happen in a fasted state. So if we're constantly snacking throughout the day, could it be, you know, decades of constantly consuming that have meant that we haven't been able to have that? housekeeping and things have just got a little bit out of control and 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 sorry I'm really excited but um and <laughs> if, if we practice fasting and we have longer breaks in between our meals would that help with the housekeeping cleanse well definitely the fasting in between meals is very important especially when you're putting someone on a SIBO treatment so I always look at having your three main meals, you know, being satiated and, and filling up on those three main meals and having at least four to five hours in between your meals so the cleansing wave can work well in that fasted state. And also not eating right before bed. So you're allowing for that 12, you have your longest fast overnight. So around 12 to 13 hours you want to kind of aim for and that gives you 
a really good opportunity for the, the migrating motor complex to work well. Now, the migrating motor complex works every 19 minutes. Whether it doesn't work at all if it's not in a fasted state, I don't think that's the issue here. I think there is um, you know, definitely poor diet and, and other things that I'll get into drive SIBO, but I don't think that alone would be the, uh, you know, many, many years of a really horrible diet or constantly grazing would be a driver to SIBO. I could be wrong, but it's not anything that I've come across. I like your thinking, though. I oh, do like that we can all We can all breathe a sigh of relief then, Linda. Oh, thank God. You know, yeah. all, the, all of those, like, six meals a day and, and you know, keep to, to boost your metabolism. Eat small and often all day. Grazing will help you burn calories. All of that flawed advice hasn't got us in a hole now. So that's that's definitely reassuring to hear, Linda. So thank you. Let's get back into oh, totally. let's get back into more the drivers. The drivers, <laughs> yes. SIBO drivers. Totally. Totally. So the first one being, as I mentioned, food poisoning, gastroenteritis, which damages that migrating motor complex, otherwise known as a cleansing wave. And other things that can damage the migrating motor complex are other conditions like inflammatory bowel disease, you know, Lyme disease, diabetes, all of those things. Many other conditions are associated with um, SIBO because SIBO is often a secondary condition, which means it's a consequence of something else. So other conditions, also anything that is going to be interfering with the structure and the anatomy. So if you've sort of had a you know gallbladder, anything that's going to block clearance of the bacteria. So if you've had your gallbladder removed, a laparoscopy, um, you know, C-section, which loads of people have had, and the list goes on. So any sort of trauma to the abdomen that could be causing adhesions or scarring. And um, could things so, like endometri- sorry to interrupt, could things like endometriosis and, and even just a normal pregnancy, could anything like that cause issues in the intestines as well or not? Uh, look, quite possibly because anything that's going to interfere with the structure and the anatomy, and again, those things look different to each individual, the endometrial picture and pregnancy and whatever it might be. Um, so anatomy and structure blocks the clearance, and then you've got the physiological function. So low hydrochloric acid, uh, low, you know, poor bile production, uh, proton pump inhibitors as well. Those things are really important because the hydrochloric acid outside of um, and now digestive enzymes and bile outside of helping us break down certain foods, they're also quite um, antibacterial and they reduce the growth and replication of particular bacteria. So it's really important that we have sufficient amounts of those things in our body and those things working well. And as you're probably very aware, loads of people are on antacids, proton pump inhibitors and that sort of thing, which really impede the production of our own, you know, um, hydrochloric acid. So those are the three main areas. Um, and again, as I mentioned, associated conditions. So you want to make sure that you're looking at um, what other conditions might be driving it, hypothyroidism, um, scleroderma, I could go on. There's lists. The other thing, ileocecal valve dysfunction. So that valve that sits between the small intestine and the large intestine, and that could be damaged or that could be improperly functioning, which just means that that bacteria from the large intestine is translocating into the small intestine. Wow. Yeah, they're the main ones. Wow. So many. I know. It's it's fascinating. <laughs> there are so many drivers that it's just, I just love this topic. Yes. It's forever evolving too. So. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. So how do we know? Like we, like you said, there's so many drivers and there's so many symptoms that are so similar to lots of other symptoms of other things, you know. So yes. how do we know if we've got SIBO or not? So the best thing that I would recommend is to get tested. So doing the breath test is is your best bet. If you look at some of these symptoms and go, yeah, I'm really getting aggravated, you know, after I eat certain foods like garlic or onions or sweet potato or even cauliflower and I don't know why or, you know, I've, I've got acne rosacea and I've worked on that with all of these certain things and it's just not getting better, hypothyroidism, whatever it might be, 
and they're not getting better, then look at is SIBO present? Get a practitioner to guide you, interpret interpret the results for you because it can be a bit of a confusing totally mess confusing. when you get it back. You don't I know, know what to do with it. Because I've had my I had my SIBO test done last year and I got the thing through and it's just like two squiggly lines like on a graph. And I was like, huh, yes. what, does this, what does this mean? And uh, you know, I had to have them interpreted by my naturopath and then you know you need to then you need to then uh, then what you know like okay so this says that now what do I do now so you don't want to just get the test done and that's it do you you really need to have a practitioner guiding you along yeah definitely and the reason why we do the test and the test is basically a a, a breath test and it's uh the gold standard is Quintron testing and basically it tests for hydrogen and methane gas and it's important to know which gases you have uh, higher levels of you could have high levels of both hydrogen and methane or just the hydrogen or just the methane and they have very different treatment protocols so you really want to know which type you have and you really want to know as well how high the levels are and we want to know further on down the track after we've done a round of treatment is the treatment working? Mm. You know, if your symptoms have reduced around about 90%, we may not want to retest. But otherwise, some if the, the gas levels were particularly high, I would want to retest and go, okay, has the gas come down? Have we resolved this issue altogether? And if we have that person still getting symptoms, then is there something else going on that we need to look at? So there's various reasons why you'd want to test. And like I said, especially you'd want to know which type of gas you're being affected by most because the treatment, the supplementation is different. You'd be, if you're throwing everything at it, you're wasting money trying to self-prescribe. And the test, yeah, without the, test doing the test's quite doable. I think it was about 200 ish dollars when I got it last year yeah. and it just comes in the post from sibotest.com.au. I think it's an Australian yes. website. Yes. Dr. What's her name? You know. Neurala Jacoby, thank God for her and having the <laughs> testing here. It just makes life easy. Because it's a new it makes test, life it's a easy, new it really test, does. doesn't it? Because when I when I first got diagnosed uh, with SIBO about four years ago, there wasn't a test around, but now there is a test around that we can so we can you know So how were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed. I'd love to hear your experience. By well, I um, my symptoms were I had chronic uh, constipation, anxiety. So very similar to um, how you've described it, uh, chronic constipation, mm-hmm. anxiety, and I felt nauseous all the time. I'd had Giardia um, or Giardia, however you say it, and after that, I never really felt not queasy anymore after that. And finally, went yeah. to um, a naturopath, and she did um, where you look at your live blood analysis. She did something there and and in there I had indicators of a leaky gut and from the way I was describing how I was feeling I had SIBO so we, we changed it um with supplements and diet so I basically uh, cut out grains sugar legumes went paleo yeah primal basically and felt I felt so much better but uh, towards the end of last year I had some hypothyroid issues so I had a really bad reverse t3 hypothyroidism issue, which I've managed to completely Mm -hmm. reverse in three months through some supplements and major slowing down of life and, you know, cutting out coffee and um, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it was really interesting when my when my SIBO test came back that I still had some SIBO. I was a little bit high on hydrogen. Methane was all right, but my hydrogen levels were, um, hydrogen is hydrogen, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, my hydrogen. Yep, yep. Not helium, otherwise I'd be floating around <laughs> in the air. But, yes, or um, helium. But my levels came back a little bit high, which was strange because I don't feel like I have anything like I used to have levels of SIBO, you know. But when you've talked about some of the symptoms that um, that are quite common, I'd say for me now it would be reflux. So it'd be like an acid reflux from things like cauliflower like you just said I was like yes. yeah I do get yes. reflux after cauliflower mash that's really really interesting so what, what I do for that is just to take um digestive bitters which really really help beautiful that kind of thing yeah and and if it makes you feel any better it's um it's it can be hard to treat like it's common that SIBO relapses so I think I think Alison Seebecker, who's a bit of the, the queen of SIBO, um, she's pioneered a lot of research in this area. She mentioned, I think it was, hopefully I get this right, around two-thirds of people uh, continue to go into, say, chronic SIBO. 
help as suffering. And then you've got about a third that have complete resolution. So it doesn't mean that you can't live a healthy life. It just means that you're sometimes these drivers are very, very hard to treat. And sometimes it can be impossible to treat these drivers. So it's about managing SIBO. So you'll, you'll find, as you've probably seen yourself, a lot of your symptoms reduce dramatically. And it's just about managing these things long term. You know, you're producing enough hydrochloric acid, digestive enzymes. What drugs are you taking? Are you taking any opioids, narco- narcotics, PPIs, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> think so. No. But these are some of the things you want to be looking at. And uh, some of these other conditions um, being monitored and looked after, like the hypothyroid. You know, and they don't really know which one causes what with hypothyroid. I find that's fascinating as well. There's um, a few reasons why it can drive SIBO, but we don't know what drives what half the time. But, yeah. you know, as you know, with hypothyroid, hypothyroidism, the thyroid hormones really support gut motility. And you'll find that poor gut motility and constipation um, creates a good environment for bacterial overgrowth. And then you've got thyroxine. Uh, they've actually found that um, thyroxine administration can can lead to high levels of SIBO. Mm. And also there's a theory around selenium as well. We know selenium is really important for the thyroid and preventing, you know, um, thyroid autoimmunity. And some of these bacteria, certain bacteria types like to feed off selenium. So there's there's different theories around hypothyroidism and SIBO, the link. So I'm going to be watching that one to see if we find out anything more. I just find that particular one fascinating. I think it's about 54% the last time I checked of people that have hypothyroidism have SIBO. That's really Hope interesting. I got that wrong. And that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. really interesting, but yet not surprising. And, and during my not bout, surprising. No, not surprising at all. And during my bout of um, when my thyroid was under, I just really felt like everything really slowed down inside, you know, like digestion slowed down, a little bit of constipation came back again. And I also noticed that at times when I was feeling particularly tired or I said I'd had some wine the night before. So, you know, alcohol really can affect your acid in your stomach as well, which you can just tell. Um, or if I hadn't had the best sleep, I'd find that the symptoms of SIBO and hypothyroidism were accentuated. You could almost like feel it on a day-to-day basis. So when you talk about managing SIBO, is there, if we can't get rid of it, is there any long-term uh, really bad effects from, from having SIBO in a chronic um, condition? Yeah, look, I think because it is a place that we tend to do a lot of our, well, we do all our absorption in the small intestine, we want to make sure that we're repleting any nutrients that we might be deficient on because there is that tendency towards malabsorption and malnutrition. So I think managing repleting nutrients, because when you think about it, it, it impairs our uptake of things like you know, vitamin B12, you know, iron, um, fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. And all of these things are really important for so many things in the body. So making sure that, again, as I mentioned, all of those digestive enzymes, the hydrochloric acid, that you're promoting healthy production of those things. So you're supporting the bile, pancreas, um, you're supporting even chewing as well. That starts a process of breaking down things well. So you want to make sure that that's happening. You want to actually, um, so as I said, you want to be repleting those minerals. You do want to make sure that you're monitoring what medications that you're taking. You want to make sure that you're using long-term a prokinetic, what we call a prokinetic. And that basically, all that means is that prokinetics support that cleansing wave in the small intestine. So it helps with that relapse that can occur so there are various supplements that help with that um that contain things like ginger 5-htp and um not that i've used them but um uh, low dose naltrexone um, erythromycin and those things have been used as prokinetics but there's obviously natural alternatives to iberogast is a really beautiful Mm. formula that is just I, i absolutely love that formula but that's used as a prokinetic for some, some think it's not strong enough, um, some of the tools that we have for prokinetics, but I think it'll just get better and better and it's something that you just, you're not going to lose out by having something like Iberogast or some of the other natural formulas because they support overall digestion. Mm. Um, you, 
Also want to make sure long-term if you're you're finding that SIBO is relapsing or we haven't quite got on top of the drivers is that you're supporting the nervous system too. So if we're in that high state of sympathetic dominance, we want to make sure that we're um, reducing that sympathetic dominance. So, you know, vagal tone exercises, breathing, meditation, exercise, all of those things. Um where else can I go with this? There are so many. <laughs> if there is scarring or adhesions as well, because that that is something that's going to need some support. So if you've had a um, trauma to the abdomen or an operation of some sort and the anatomy and structure has been pushed out, for want of a better word, you might have scarring or adhesions and you'd want to get some visceral manipulation on that. So um there's various places in Australia and you want to be looking for places that do the barrel technique and it's just a kind of vigorous sort of stomach massage. I haven't had it personally myself or I haven't seen anyone have it done, but that is something to really help unblock that whatever might be going on with the scarring and adhesions that doesn't allow for the clearance of bacteria through. So that's more of a long-term thing you want to kind of look at, but it's a case of, what I've really found with um, SIBO, you've really got to do the timeline on someone, really go back to their history like in a very big way. We do that anyways as health practitioners, but really dig deep, you know. Have this, has there been any trauma to the abdomen, food poisoning, when, what happened? Have you felt better since, like have you felt worse since that experience? So it's often a bit of detective work. If the person's actually not getting better or they're relapsing, they kind of want to really get down to why this might be happening and there might be multiple drivers. So um, I don't know if I've answered your question, but I, I guess you've the whole that mate- question and you've answered like the next question as well. So really, <laughs> that's really helpful. So, yeah, thanks for that. Good. And, and we're finished. No, we're not at all. Just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I do tend to waffle. I do no, tend to waffle. I'll rein it in. You're, no, you're not rein it in. No, you're passionate and it's lovely because you just like you get in the zone yeah. you know, and you're just like it's just coming through you and you just want to share it all with us, which is. Totally, it's a download. It no, I think it's just this hot podcast room. <laughs> oh, no, Sweating my ass off. Oh, really? Is it hot where you are? It's freezing. Here. No, it, it is. Well, it's sticky and rainy so it's just oh, that yeah. humid Ugh. yucky you need 50 showers yeah, but uh, disgusting yeah, that's, that's the feel nice, that's nice. so for a typical mum at home who has got a few concerns maybe i've got SIBO maybe i don't have SIBO what can what things can we do in our life i mean you've already mentioned a couple of really key ones which i just loved which was actually chewing your food which i know it's almost it sounds so rad these days because everybody eats on the go but there is so much to be said from just actually sitting down, having a breath, getting out of that fight or flight yes. response that we've been in for most of the day and, and chewing our food. And that in itself will promote digestion. I'm even salivating just imagining sitting down yeah. <laughs> and relaxing and eating. There you go. There you go. Thinking Good. about the food even, those thoughts. Right, helps the process. And you've also mentioned um, some good nervous system uh, work like meditation, spending time in nature and just kind of slowing, slowing down. But are there any other things that we can do at home to not, I guess, prevent? Because I don't know if you can prevent it, but can you, Linda? <sighs> Look, I think if you've had food poisoning, you've had food poisoning and you may not have SIBO following a food poisoning event or gastroenteritis, but you may. So in that scenario, can you prevent it? I don't know. Sometimes when we travel, things happen. So that's one thing. Proton pump inhibitors. Obviously, I'm not telling people to just jump off these things that they um, have been told to be put on, but really question the need for someone to be on those particular medications, opioids, narcotics with your doctor. And so because it could be really driving can we Something pause like you? this? I'm just going to pause you there. Yeah. Because when you say proton pump inhibitors, people will be like, mm, not really sure what you mean. But what you're ah. meaning is when you get acid reflux and you take yes. like a, an acid reflux tablet, which are just, it's so common. There's so many people with GERD and GORD and, uh, you know, and, and they're thinking, you know, I used to sleep with a packet of antacid tablets by my bed so I could pop them in the night when my inevitable heartburn came. And I know that 
my dad is exactly the same and, um, you know, refuses. I sometimes offer him shots of vinegar <laughs> to say, have some vinegar. You need more acid in your stomach, not less. And he says, no, no, I've got enough acid. I need to get rid of the acid because it's burning. Can you just tell us a little bit about why that is a complete flawed reality? <laughs> Yeah, because it really does. We don't know whether, um, you know, someone's actually having reflux from low stomach acid or high stomach acid, and it's often low stomach acid. And so when we're using something like proton pump inhibitors, antacids, we're depleting our production of hydrochloric acid. And as I said, that's a driver for SIBO. And as you mentioned, you, you know, you, it was so common for you to pop these things. Then that's what we see out there. That's what people do. It's over the counter. It's easy. It's yes. No problem. It's harmless. But you know, what we think is harmless long-term is not, not a good, not a good thing. So, um, that's, I guess that's one of the things that you could be doing, looking, re- reflecting on what medications you're on, speaking to your GP about whether it's necessary, um, you know, really supporting those other conditions that might be associated, as I mentioned before. Um, the only thing I will say about SIBO, you can't have complete resolution from diet alone. So, yes, there's other things definitely that people want to be supporting outside of the supplementation or medication, whatever they choose to use. But the diet alone won't get rid of SIBO. So, if you start to pull out these particular foods, starchy foods and all of those things that the SIBO like to feed off and create gas, which is why the problems and symptoms happen, um, it's only going to be starving off the bacteria. It's not going to be get, getting rid of the bacteria. And we're depleting the body of other nutrients because those foods are actually not a bad thing for our microbiome, mm. for our overall creating a beautiful diversity and function of bacteria in our gut. So we don't want to be on that way of eating for ever. Like we do want to go through the process of removing the overgrowth and then repleting these particular nutrients to really create that really yummy diversity in the gut. And um, so that diversity can really promote really good function because that that bacteria has a function for our overall health. So, but I guess what they can do at home outside of supporting the dietary stuff, and I'll get into which particular um, way of eating, I get people to jump on when I put them on a SIBO treatment. Definitely the vagal tone exercises, as you may have heard me speak about in the previous podcast. But anything that's really, I I really love deep diaphragmatic breathing. So breathing in slowly and you can hold your breath at the top if you like and then breathing out even longer. And sometimes that's even really hard for people that are really anxious. So starting off slowly and even titrating up to a longer time where you're breathing in for a longer count and breathing out for a longer count, that helps to really tonify and strengthen the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is a beautiful nerve, otherwise known as the wandering nerve, that kind of runs from the brain through some organs and then goes down into the gut. And the beautiful thing about the vagus nerve is that it supports gut motility, so the way we move waste and bacteria through, but it really helps to promote um, hydrochloric acid and, and good gallbladder function, which produces bile, which breaks down fats well and has that antibacterial property and also supports digestive enzymes. And so I think don't underestimate the breath, don't underestimate the mindfulness stuff, for want of a better word. I know that that word's just been used so much, but Take it back to the breath because that's really going to support you during a SIBO journey, you know, or if you've having or if you're having any sort of digestive complaint, really, you know, supporting breath, like you know, life complaint, anything. anything. Go back to your breath. It's all you've got. It's all you've always got. You know, like whatever's happening, whether you, yeah, anything. Just have have a breath, girl. You got this. Absolutely. Do you do any sort of breath work? Yes. Yeah. All the time. Well, I love yoga, and I know you're a Yin yoga teacher as well. Beautiful. So, um, yeah. Yes. Love breath work. I don't teach. You don't teach? I thought you did. 
I did. I don't teach at the moment. No, I don't. But I, I do absolutely love yoga. But you're qualified. Yeah. Like that's how good you are at it. You're a qualified yeah. yoga teacher. Like really. <laughs> yes, cool, I am. Cool, cool stairs to have. Yeah, I do uh, breathwork, yoga, meditate every day, and have a, a mindfulness time ty- chimer on my phone, so that um, randomly every hour it, it goes dong. And it, it's just my cue. Like, wow. Like a Pavlov's dog to just sit back and have one breath. That's all. Not like five. Just one. Just one big conscious breath. That's fantastic. And you know what that reminds me of? I don't know if you've seen the documentary Thich Nhat Hanh did. No, I yeah, that heard. guy Thich Nhat Hanh. He sounds cool. <laughs> he's yeah. <laughs> and I'm probably botching up his name, but he's just a beautiful <laughs> monk. And he um, there was a documentary that I saw on the plane about him. And he lives in a monastery and, you know, teaches all these other monks and wannabe monks. And they have a very similar thing. I think every 15 minutes or a certain time, how many certain times throughout the day, a bell would chime and everyone would have to stop what they're doing and take a few breaths and just be present. And I thought that that was just such a great idea. And here you are doing it in the flesh in Australia. Doing it in (laughs) in a real life kitchen with a real life mom. But, you know, it's, it's the reality is like you find yourself, you'll be like hunched over the computer you know, like, and they're like, oh, no, yes. I don't need to have this tension in my shoulders. And yeah, you just, you just brings you back into that present, into the present moment, which I know, like you say, the mindfulness in the present moment, it's all been a bit overdone, but it's, it's the truth. It's the, it's getting back to those things. And I feel really inspired to hear that just some deep breathing, like we've um, been discussing now has such, I knew it was good for your nervous system, but I wasn't quite sure how. And, you know, when you think, wow, I'm doing this, yeah. not just to you know, be able to handle my afternoon a bit better and to be more productive and not be in a bad mood when the kids get back from school. But it's also helping me with my gut health and digesting my food, absorbing my nutrients, just incredible. And just acutely, if you're if you've got SIBO and you've got anxiety, which is a very common thing, mm-hmm. to be able to de- dip into that deep diaphragmatic breathing in that acute phase, it's going to really help calm you down in the moment. And I think with the deep breathing, because mm-hmm. When I provide a prescription for my patients, I'll always include the breath, The depending on where they're at. Some people will launch straight into meditation and they're happy for suggestions and all the rest of it. Many are not. And so that's where I'll start. You know, I'll start with the breath. If you can do both, awesome. It's just another tool in your belt mm. you know, to reduce the anxiety and to support digestion if you're constipated and all the rest of it. Or even if you've got diarrhea, you know, just really settle that nervous system and get into that parasympathetic nervous state. But I find that even saying to someone, just do three to five breaths in the morning is a bit more manageable than a meditation for some because it's almost functional. They have, they're thinking about their breath, they're, they're counting even in some cases, and I think it's just a really nice place to start for those that just go, oh, I can't meditate. There's no yeah. such thing as you can't meditate. No, there's Seriously, no, there's there no is. right or wrong. And, but I remember, like, you know, for years, like, doing it, you know, thinking, oh, this is good for me, but not not really getting it. Do you know what I mean? And then and then suddenly yeah. it becomes, uh, you know, it sort of it is a practice, and, and the more you do it, the more you kind of get that piece till till it gets to a point where you think, well, I am there's not there's no way I'm going through today without getting into that yummy spot, you know. And I look forward to it yes. and and always always prioritize it. And I find that the busier I get, um, the more it's important to do it. Like the, on the days where you think I don't have time to do any deep breathing today, right? <laughs> Those are the days when you really That's need when to you do need your it. deep breathing, isn't it? Isn't that true? Totally. And I was the same. I, I didn't, uh, I probably struggled through meditation for about a year or so. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep sh- showing up yes. and committing the time. It's frustrating. The mind is wandering. I'm thinking about my emails and what I need to get to. And then it's, yeah, it's only really literally been about three, three weeks that I've looked forward to it and I've used it as a tool. Like you said, it's wow. like, I've got a talk that I need to do or I'm, I've got this study that I need to do and it's like, okay, go take yourself out for a 10-minute meditation, take yourself out for some breath work, breath work and it's become a really beautiful tool rather than this isn't working for me. Yeah. It just took time to get there. Or, it or took to, time. I was getting something from it but it yeah. took time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or to take it away from it's a, it's a, it's resting, it's it's unproductive, it's indulgent to lie down and, you know, meditate. Who do you think you are to do this? You should be, you know, cleaning the cupboards or getting on with dinner you know there's a lot of a lot of that talk going on whereas really when totally you, you, you I find that you can fit more in after you've meditated because 
I don't know, it kind of like bends reality. You, it kind of makes more time. Whereas when you're running around like a headless chuck, you just you just don't get anything done. You feel like you're completely behind and you haven't done anything yummy for yourself. So you get to the end of the day in a complete grumpy cow feeling resentful. Who wants that? Totally. No, <laughs> I agree. You, and you're much more productive. You get straight. Yeah. You're much more productive. You get straight to what you need to do. It's and just, like you said, yeah. I totally relate with the time. It becomes a, a non thing like it's almost like an illusion it's you do have all the time in the world to do what you need to do yeah so totally incredible yeah. all right awesome awesome slight meditation uh, tangent there but so important and very important totally. to think about too. so if we I, I, know, I know when i was doing the SIBO test i had to go on this like SIBO diet yes can you talk to us a little bit about <laughs> the SIBO diet and how that looks for people when they are trying to um recover from SIBO Yes. And there's, it's part of the treatment. So that first line of treatment after you've been on paper, it says you've got high levels of gas and you've got SIBO at some level is there are a few ways you can go. So certainly there is antimicrobials with natural or pharmaceutical antimicrobials, which we may may not, may or may not get into, but certainly the diet is a big part of it. So there are various different diets that you could choose. The one that I use is the biphasic diet, again, um, created by Dr. Narala Jacoby. And she's just tweaked um, Alison C. Becker's diet for SIBO, which was essentially a combination of low FODMAP and um, the specific SIBO-specific food guide. So she's combined those together. Whereas this particular biphasic diet just has different phases of the diet. So in the initial stages, while you're getting tested, we start the process and put you on the diet because then that helps to reduce any die-off if we need to treat. And um, it starts a process of starving off the, the particular bacteria. And then when we're onto the treatment, whether we use the pharmaceutical antibiotics or the natural, we go into the second phase, which is the remove and restore. And then that allows for a little bit more food because we want to actually almost lure out the bacteria in order to kill them. We want the, the treatment to be more effective. doesn't mean that you're going hell for leather with gluten and dairy and um, lots of sweet potato and all the rest of it, but you're able to have, you know, a bit more food and a bit more vegetables and whatever. It's The diet's not that bad. It's, it's very doable. There are other different types of diets that I can get into, but they're not really the ones that I use. So there's a straight low FODMAP, which isn't bad, but I think with the low FODMAP it still allows for um, – you know, uh, certain grains and starches, which I'd still want to tweak and remove from the diet. So I don't feel like it's complete enough. Um, but some use that effectively. And there's, you know, different types of diets that you can use, like SED, um, specific carbohydrate diet. Again, they all have little bits and pieces that I'd probably tweak yeah. for that individual person. Um, the other thing, diet alone, elemental diet. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's pretty much a liquid diet. Yeah. So it's a bit of a, a tricky one to do because not everyone's up for it. It's just anywhere between two to three weeks of a liquid diet. And this particular formula is made up of your macros, like your proteins, carbs and fats, but they're in easily digestible forms like amino acids instead of protein, um, instead of your ways and that sort of stuff, amino acids, so they're easily broken down, um, carbohydrates generally in the form of glucose or maltodextrin because they're easily absorbed, and um, also fats and generally, ideally MCT because it's easily absorbed again, and vitamins and minerals. So all the, the purpose of the elemental diet is that it starves off the bacteria quite effectively and it feeds the host though, mm -hmm. so we don't go unfed. Yeah, but that um, sounds pretty good. Even though the idea of yeah liquid diet and it's, it almost takes me back to the shakes of the nineties. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but the, it works really effectively. I've not tried it with patients yet. It's it's expensive and not so easy to to get in Australia. You can, um, but it it is expensive. But when you think about the amount of um, foods that you're not going to be making and preparing yeah, and all that you time that you're saving, yeah. Yeah, and you get you get three so, weeks off. It, you get three weeks off cooking dinner, so it's a win. Totally, <laughs> and it doesn't taste amazing, but you can tweak it a little bit to make it taste okay. <laughs> what, about, what about a keto diet? Because if you are eating fifty grams or less of carbohydrates a day, and just you know you're not you're steering away from the starchy vegetables, you're just having leafy greens and good fats like MCT oil that you mentioned. Um, 
would that be a SIBO uh, helpful diet or not? Yeah, it would. The only thing that you would like, the only thing that you would want to be looking at is taking out the garlic and the onions. So those little nitpicky vegetables that you may not think Mm. would be aggravating SIBO, but they tend to. So I don't really look at that, but the bulk of the keto diet would be okay. I don't see it to be too much of a big problem. I just want to ensure that, you know, people are kind of, um, you're moving their bowels regularly and all that sort of stuff. But generally the the keto diet would be fine with little tweaks here and there, as I mentioned. Now, yeah. before we before we wrap up, I know that um, one of your nicknames is the Poo Whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wondering, on a, on a, on a uh, parting note, let's talk about poo. And um, can you give us like your three best tips to optimize poo? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) There are so many. (laughs) Because, again, the uh, constipation, there are so many drivers. So let me think about this. Should I Um, I tell you why I'm I'm asking this? Because whilst I was having a whilst I was having a bowel (laughs) You thought of me. I thought, no, I didn't actually think of you because that would be weird. Uh, No. I thought (laughs) about you later. Um, No, um, but I did think of three. uh, So I'll give you my three and then you give me your three. I'll give you a chance to think of three. All right, so my first tip to optimise a good poo would be to put your feet up on a little stool. So I just use one of of my squatty potty or or something like that. Um, The second Mm -hmm. one would be to uh, sort of like push your tummy out as as the poo is coming out. I don't know. Somebody told me that once when I went somewhere for some constipation thing, and it really helps, like, just kind of expand your stomach as the poo's coming out. And the third one would be to relax your jaw. So if you're, like, on the toilet. Right. If you, I, got that I one like from, that you've got quirky. I got that one from childbirth. You've got quirky ones. It's great. If you, if you, if you relax your jaw, I must try that. relaxes I must all of your other sphincters, apparently. Uh. Yes. And this is going to be a very general, very general one because, as I said, there are so many drivers. Certainly, I'm going to bring up nutrition. It's so important. Yes. You make sure you're getting enough fibrous vegetables. You know, it, it's just going to really help to to bulk up the stool and move it out of the body. Enough healthy healthy fats as well with every single meal because, again, fats just really lubricate the colon and helps to really, you know, push poop on through. Lots of water making sure you're getting enough water. Um, the exercise is <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> exercise is really important too. So anything that's going to work the core and the spine is really important because it helps to really exercise and um, tone the bowel. So it creates a really good bowel tone and, again, helps to re- helps with those muscular contractions, that which is called the peristalsis in the large intestine, not the migrating motor complex, which is in the large intestine. Um, what else? And the breath, again. I actually have a patient who says, after we've got her into some regular meditation and breath work in the morning, she said, if I don't do that, I don't go to the toilet. So, again, if a person's got that sympathetic dominance, they're in, they're in that state of high stress, often, then you'll find someone like that would really benefit with carving out 10 to 20 minutes in the morning, even 10 minutes, even five minutes to do a bit of breath work. Mm. And, you know, and if it's comfortable to sit cross-legged or with your perineum, so with your sacrum on the ground and with your back erect, as comfortable as you can be, and just have those deep breaths, deep diaphragmatic breaths, and that's going to help you go to the bathroom. So many more other than that. That's there's a, that's yeah there's heaps and you know if you're if you're like if you you know if your morning's uh, busy and you're in a rush to get out the door then um that that really does help because you know if you're if you're a morning person and you're just like go 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 go, go there's no time to sort of stop and relax and have a poo because you know that's not important your body's in fight or flight it doesn't matter if you're full of poo because you need to obviously run away from somebody or you know catch dinner or something you know so so it's so gold yeah so yeah I've loved talking to you and I could go on for the hour, but I'm looking at the clock and I know you're a very busy woman. You're on all the podcasts <laughs> everywhere. You're so important and everybody, you're a hot guest and everybody wants to be so I better let you go, but before you go. No, you just take the piece. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're just seeing the sweat beads, I think, aren't you? You're seeing all those sweat beads no, pop down my face. You just look gorgeous. Seriously, you do. You oh, look yes. great. You do. I'm just looking at my shiny forehead. But anyway. Um, she didn't actually tell me this was a video, so I don't believe you <laughs> yeah i had a makeover just just your information 
Um, before you go, hilarious Linda, how can we work with you if you're like, oh my God, Linda's hilarious. She knows all this stuff about poo. I think I've got SIBO. I totally want to work with her. Can we work with you? How does it work? Yes, absolutely. So I do my consultations via Skype or FaceTime so I can work with anyone around Australia. Um, you can just find me on lindagriprich.com. So that's L-Y and uh, griprich is a bit, un, un, you know, hard to pronounce and spell. But I'm glad you said I'm it. sure we can pop that somewhere try. in the notes. Yeah, definitely. That, that link will be Oh, I can't hear you anymore. Oh. There you are. Have you got me? Yes. What I said was, I'm glad that you, I'm glad you pronounced your name and I didn't have a go at it first because I wasn't quite sure, to be honest. And do you have courses as well that we could do? I don't have courses. No, I don't. But, but, um, well, I do have a uh, bowel care program. But it's not necessarily for SIBO. It's just for someone. It's a four-week online program that people can do just to really help put the fundamentals into good bowel health to help move bowels because obviously I work with constipation too. And um, so it's just setting up those fundamentals to really create really healthy bowel movements daily. That's good. So, the so that's best, the only thing I've got. That's the only thing you've got. So the best thing to do is to work one-on-one with you and to to get in contact via your website. Yeah, and if you're unsure, just send me an email. If you're unsure whether um, I can help you or whether you've got SIBO or if it's the right fit, then feel free to get in contact. Perfect. I'm sure they will be. And it's been so good to connect with you today, Linda, and I look forward to hanging out with you again in the future. Thank you for having me on. I've had a lot of fun, Helen. Thanks. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.